Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. I am obsessed with Jay McLaughlin and have been so honored that they are sponsoring my Zibiverse tour. It just so happens that the tour goes to so many communities and areas of the country that have Jay McLaughlin stores. And I love that the brand is philanthropic through Jay McLaughlin's local and loyal programming host store events to give back to organizations that are meaningful to Jay McLaughlin's local communities. I also love the fact that the clothes are just so chic. They make me feel polished and modern. And the best part is that most of the line comes in fabrics that don't wrinkle. I especially love the dresses, the cashmere sweaters, the other sweaters. You'll see them all over my Instagram. I typically tag at Jay McLaughlin. And so you can check it out. It is absolutely one of my favorite brands and I am over the moon excited to be working with them. In fact, I want to share the love with all of you. Jay McLaughlin is giving 20% off new customers and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z Zibby 20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white open long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater, several dresses I even wore on Corny America. Check it out. Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Dot com and definitely check out those shows as well. Laura Zygman is the author of Small World, a novel. She's been on this podcast before and is also a member of our author advisory board at Zibby Books. 
Laura is the author of five novels, including Separation Anxiety, which was optioned by Julianne Nicholson and the production company Willip, who did Mayor of Easttown, for a limited television series. She also wrote Animal Husbandry, which was made into the movie Someone Like You, starring Hugh Jackman and Astley Judd, Dating Big Bird, Her, and Pieces of Work. She has ghostwritten and collaborated on several works of nonfiction, including Eddie Izzard's New York Times bestseller, Believe Me. She has been a contributor to the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Huffington Post. She produced a popular online series of animated videos called Annoying Conversations and was the recipient of a Yado residency. She lives in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Welcome, Laura. Thanks for coming back. Moms don't have time to read books to discuss small world. Thanks for having me. I am thrilled to be back. Oh, your book was so good. And I feel like it's particularly good knowing what you relate in the book about your own personal background and how it tied into the story. So would you mind sharing for listeners what Small World is about, but also your personal connection to it? Yeah, sure. You know, the book is about two adult divorced sisters who move in together um, after their divorces. And there's that comic element of (laughs) what that would be like. But it was a real opportunity for me to finally write about my family. And in the novel, the two sisters, Lydia and Joyce, are, you know, thrown together in this in this situation. And then they end up dealing with their childhood. And in their childhood, they had a sister, a middle sister, Eleanor, who was developmentally disabled and physically disabled with um, cerebral palsy and a seizure disorder. And she died when she was 10. And that completely shaped their childhood as those things do. And for my family, the the truth of my story was that I had a sister, I had an older sister, oldest sister, Cheryl, who was born first, and she died at seven from a very rare bone disease. And so my sister who lives in LA, my sister Linda and I, she was five and I was three when our sister Cheryl died. So we really didn't know her. So it wasn't that kind of sibling loss. There are all kinds of things like that. Um, Ours was like, we didn't really know her, but my parents did. <laughs> and so we grew up really shaped by this experience because it completely changed our parents and who they may have been. And so it was also the 1970s and things like that weren't really, you know, therapy wasn't really a thing yet and all that. So my sister and I now as adults have kind of, you know, finally talk, we talk about this stuff and there's not that much to talk about for us in terms of like, we didn't know her, but we talk about what it was like to grow up in that kind of environment. And so Lydia and Joyce in the book are very much shaped. Their circumstances are again, slightly different because their sister lived with them and their sister was the absolute main focus of their mother, Louise, who was a real activist for disability rights in the seventies. And so that's very different. But your sister did live with you or she didn't live with you? You know, it's funny. She lived with us. She was born in 1958. And then at six months old, she was diagnosed with this very rare thing. And so, you know, both my parents are gone. And my father was so kind of, I say the, use the word obsessed. And I don't mean it in any way other than then he was obsessed with her for his whole life. And so there was a part of me that didn't want to ask too many questions because I sort of felt like he talked about it so much and that I was kind of tired by the, by the time I was in my, you know, fifties, like I was tired of hearing about it. You know, I was kind of like, well, I'm here and my other sister's here. And so I regret that so much. I regret not asking more questions. Um, but after they were both gone, I, I did get really curious <laughs> a little too late, but in the research for this book, I did find a few photographs and there was one in particular of Cheryl with my sister, Linda, and they were at home. 
and Cheryl must have been about two, maybe two and a half. So that was like, I'll never get an answer because there's no one to ask. But I was amazed that, uh, and I had the picture framed for my sister because I thought, wow, they they actually did overlap. At a really, I mean, my sister Linda was probably six months old or something like that. But, you know, it's like one of those things like, I just wish I had more information. And because the uh, my sister Cheryl was institutionalized at a place called Fernald in Boston, and those records are like sealed and you have to get a lawyer and even then... You, the records may not exist. So I'm just so curious. But luckily, when you write fiction, you can, <laughs> you can take a few facts and, and then, you know, make your own story out of it. I saw that you said Carolyn Levitt worked at Fernald as an intern, which I couldn't believe. That's so, I mean, small world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And who's um, so bad with names lately, but Eileen Miles, the poet, she worked there. So there are all these people that worked there, had something to do with Fernald, which was like a really well-known place, good and bad. So yeah. It's, it's, it's the scene in, in Small World when, uh, I mean, I feel like it's not giving anything away, but if it is, <laughs> you know, when their sister goes and, and the scene where they're waving goodbye, I mean, oh my gosh. And then the going back to the house. I mean, I finished reading this book and I just like held it in my hands. And my husband, Kyle was like, I always know when you finish a really good book, cause you just sit there and you like hold it and like, look at the cover for a really long time afterwards. <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, it's really funny, interesting, funny about what you just um, picked out is that when I was doing some research and I couldn't really get any information because of the nature of the, the privacy laws here in, here in Massachusetts, I contacted a guy who teach, he's a writer and he teaches at Harvard School of Government. And he's this great guy named Alex Green. And he put me in touch. He's an expert in all of these issues. And he put me in touch with a person whose brother lived in the same building that my sister lived in. And who at the same time, like, so I actually got on the phone with him and he described, because I was so curious, I was like, how often did your family go? And he described that he had kind of a big family and they would all get in the station wagon, probably one of those mm-hmm. paneled station wagons, and they would drive over and their mother would go up and all the kids and the father would stay in the station wagon and they would wave. So like, oh my God. And then she would come down and the father would go up because the kids weren't allowed to to go up. So, but it was just this incredible visual thing like to you know anyway it's yeah no i'm an amazing thing to be able to talk to someone who who remembered that kind of thing yeah well it's not surprising the details are so vivid i mean there's so many things you also have the dynamic in their 50s of the two sisters one of whom is probably uh, i mean you say the probably on the spectrum of some yes. some kind right never yes. overtly whatever and how she's dealing with how and i love how you even said at some point like oh she's not like this with everybody but it's she notices people's shapes and then says things you know it's like it's a totally yeah. different way of interpreting another person yeah. which anyway i thought was really interesting but anyway how and the longing that um what are these characters names again i'm blanking on all lydia of them. and lydia and joyce right joyce. Says, lydia yeah. and joyce so like joyce has this sense of longing for her sister so much yeah. and like this like she's finally come home and of course in your signature wit you're like it's about time already isn't it you know <laughs> Well, you don't have a sister, right? You just have a brother. I have a brother. But if you have, I mean, siblings are the whole, you know, the, there's the comedy and the tragedy with siblings. But, you know, my sister and I, my sister, just like Lydia in the book, my sister moved away to California right after college. She went to art school, she went to RISD and she, and she just wanted to live on the West Coast. And I totally understood, except that it was very far. Yeah. Um, 
So for years, you know, I always imagined like, what would it have been like if we had lived closer? And and in some ways it would have been great and our kids would have been good. And in probably in other ways, it was probably a good thing that we lived, you know, because then when we see each other, it, it was really nice. But you miss out on all that. And so Joyce is definitely like, you know, all she wants as a younger sister is to get her older sister's attention. And that is, you know, and there's so much comedy. I mean, when I thought about, you know, the setup for this, which was sort of based on a real situation where we lived in an apartment in Cambridge, Mass, and the people above us, new people came and moved in. And all of a sudden there was all this noise. And I mean, and they had built, just like in the book, they had built an actual yoga studio above our heads. Like it was like a business. I was like, this is a house. And anyway, it was very comical and maddening. And now when maddening things happen like that, I think this is just my next book. But, you know, I thought like, oh, I'll write the same thing. You know, a couple lives downstairs and upstairs. And then I thought, I just wrote about a couple. I don't ever want to write about another couple about marriage. But, and then I thought, oh, what if they were sisters? Because Mm -hmm. sisters really push each other's buttons too. Like, and I knew if my sister moved in with me, she would, you know, like part of her would be like, yeah, it's very annoying. And then the other part would be like, you know, I'm so much more chill than you. I want to take the yoga class. You know what I mean? She would want to sort of like engage, you know? So it's just, it's so much, it was really fun to write those parts. It reminded me of like the funny troupe of performers who came in and separation anxiety. Yeah. (laughs) Like all these characters. I'm like, who are the characters? Who's who's blasting onto the scene and shaking things up? (laughs) Yeah, that was funny. The attention you had to all the details of their conversations and like what you can say and what you can't say to set each other off. Like you just nailed that. Like when Lydia rearranges all the furniture and Joyce comes home and is like, okay, I can't say, (laughs) I can't say this, but I can't say that. I can't do this and I can't do that. Well, she wins if I do this. I mean, it's so funny. Thank you. Yeah. It's, I mean, whether it's a sibling or your, you know, your parents, it's a minefield with family and it is just, there's just so many triggers with like what you say and what they say and how they trigger you. And then, you know, it's just, it's funny to me. It's really funny. I mean, now it's funny. There was a time when that kind of stuff wasn't funny, <laughs> real, but now it's like, oh, you know, we get along now and everything's fine, but it's just, it's, there's a lot of humor in it for me. Yeah. It's like, and it's like everybody's really driving a bumper car in the family. Yeah, yeah. You have to either like back up or you have to be so careful, right? No, <laughs> um, to your point about how people didn't talk about it as much in the 70s and everything, you have another scene where the mom takes the two girls to the beach soon after. I don't know what is wrong with me. I can't remember anybody's name. But their sister goes to... Eleanor, yeah. It's Eleanor funny. goes to the institution and she's on the beach with the other moms and she says she's never read as much because the moms don't want to talk about... Oh, no, this is after yeah. the, um, Eleanor passes away. Yeah. And she says, you know, nobody wants to talk to me about having a, a yeah. child. Like yeah. nobody, they want to talk about, you know, nothing, housework, whatever. So she's like, what can I do? I just read. I've never felt so alone. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I think, you know, it was hard being raised in a family that was sad and yet who could blame them? I mean, it was, like I said, it was the seventies there, you know, my father ended up going to a therapist, but it was still very much like my parents were first generation. And for my mother, like the fact that he was going was like, you know, first generation kids, people like that were often like, you know, you were mentally ill if you were seeing a psychiatrist. That's how they pronounce it. You're seeing a psychiatrist, you know, like, <laughs> um, you know, like you're going to have a breakdown. But so it was very shameful. And I I know she 
was embarrassed that he was going, but, you know, for her, it was really, she didn't talk about it much. And, you know, just like in the scene, no one, no one wants to talk about that. No one wants to talk about it now either. You know, um, most people who lose a child, they have only, you know, I mean, you did a great interview with Rob Delaney. I blurbed that book. I saw him in Boston. He's amazing. And there are so many people like him and who wants to talk about it usually, except when people like him really open up that conversation, they make all the people <laughs> who have been through it. Cause you know, you're like a pariah. People think it's like almost contagious. Like they don't want to hear about it. And there was a really amazing piece just last night on today.com about the siblings of Newtown and Sandy Hook and what those siblings of those kids, it's been 10 years and what they feel. And that's a conversation that, you know, needs to be had too, because they're sort of the forgotten people in it, you know, not, not that, I mean, just there's so much grief to go around, but that's a whole aspect of it that I'm glad is finally getting some attention to. Well, grief and joy go hand in hand so yeah. much too. I mean, sometimes people are happy to talk about someone like, cause they get to think about them and talk about them and yeah. share. just interviewed Lois Lowry, which was really yeah. amazing. But I had read that she had lost a child and I was sort of afraid to ask, like, can I ask her about this? And I, so I sort of gently asked and she totally lit up like yeah. to talk about him. And she's like, oh my gosh, he was so amazing. And you know, she, it, it, and I was so happy then that she was talking about it. Yeah. But if you're always afraid to ask, you don't know, you're, you assume you're bringing on pain. But like you said in the book, like, like I forgot, like I was going to forget that, so, you know, but, you know. <laughs> no, but it's great. I mean, it's great. I know you're publishing some people who are writing about grief and it's so much in the public conversation now, sadly, because of COVID and, and all that, but it is something that is really helpful for people, especially for whom loss is really fresh or for people who have had years and years of it kind of with this expectation that they're just supposed to move on and get over it. And, you know, I mean, it's almost impossible to get through life without having any grief, yeah. right? Yeah. How, how does one do that if you live long yeah. enough or you, um, right. anyway, so you might as well figure out a way to deal with it. Right. Right. So. Right. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile. We like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The marriage between the parents is also really interesting. The effects on the marriage and what happens when there is an event like this. And that's another thing that, like, you never know. You hear, like, so many marriages split up after the loss of a child, but... Then there's like this closeness, like what Rob Delaney talks about in the throes of it, the passion and like how you cling to each other. So I found it interesting how you depicted the relationship between them, the parents. Yeah. I mean, you know, for the parents in the book, you know, they, the father was an orthodontist and he, you know, was sad also, but Louise, the mom was just so, you know, committed to this inclusion, you know, so everything revolved around um, Eleanor. And so the whole family dynamic revolved, or, you know, Eleanor was the center of attention. And and that's a great thing too. There's just always a cost, no matter what you do, <laughs> whether you have special needs kids or non-special needs kids or whatever, you're always going to, you know, your choices are always going to be wrong for somebody or, or cost somebody. So if you do the great thing of putting the special needs child in the center, then you feel like, you know, in this particular case, Joyce and Lydia were slightly neglected and it was the seventies. So benign neglect. Yes. I'm a little older than you. So I was truly raised in the seventies. I did have a shoelace with a key on it, but everyone did. And, and, and you were just like, nobody talked about their feelings and nobody, you know, it's like, did you, you know, are you eating, you know, are you this, you, you're fine. But especially for Joyce and Lydia, they just were not really considered, you know, they were walking and talking. They didn't need help. They weren't in a wheelchair and they didn't need help eating or being, you know, anything like that. So they were fine. You know, they were fine, but they weren't fine. And that's always the case. And so, you know, the father had a little bit more sense of that, but, you know, he obviously wasn't much help in that regard. And and Louise really was committed to that was a big parents movement in the seventies. And my parents were actually both very, you know, Cheryl died when she was seven and they stayed, there was a parents group and they stayed involved for probably over 20 years, fundraising and doing all kinds of stuff, which was incredible. And we knew those families for a really long time. And most of those kids, they were called retarded children at the time. You know, they're, they were in their forties and fifties when I still knew them. So it's, it was like kind of amazing that they stayed in that world. Wow. And then, of course, you have all the poems, which are so creative. <laughs> the poems that you made from the message board, like yes. the neighbor next door, or whatever. Yeah. Did you have next door the app? I have it for LA. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, right. Yes. It's really yeah. fun. So I have a friend who is a professor at University of Maryland, Baltimore. He's like a Amer- big Mer- American studies professor. He's an old friend of mine. And a couple times a year, he'll post on Facebook and he'll just take his, I don't know if it, his is next door, just like a regular thing, listserv. And the absurdity, he would just take a post straight from the site and he would just cut it into stan- stanzas, like lines. And it would be a poem, but he hadn't changed the word. And I was like, I love this so much. I want to marry it. I just became obsessed. <laughs> and then I was like, I'm going to I'm try it myself. And so I did it. And I, the first one was like a lost cat. And I was like, oh, I'm obsessed. I could do this for a job. Will somebody pay me? And then of course nobody would, but um, I <laughs> wove that in. And I was so excited at the beginning that I think my first draft I turned in to my publisher and I was like, no, the poems are real. And she was like, oh, you can't do that. 
You can't just use them. Like you have to, but I was like, but they're so good. I love the fact that they were real, you know, but then I, I took them all out and I did my own. Oh, yeah, I I thought maybe they were, I assumed they were real. (laughs) I wanted, they were so good. The real ones were so good. And so I had to, I did have to redo them for legal purposes, but I was inspired. I had all these little folders that were like lost cats. And then there was like, you know, just weird, tons of weird stuff. And then bad neighbors. There was all different kinds of, you know, turkeys, big turkey threads. So um, I had lots to work with. And then I just did it, did it myself. But they were so fun because I was like, I also want to explain, like, they could have been much better poems if, if that was the point, but they had to be kind of based on, yeah. No, they, they couldn't be that good because... They couldn't be that good. No, it no, had to but, be um, believable. And you were so funny too. You're like, how many people, why do people keep losing their cats? Can these people just keep their cats inside, please? No, honestly, <laughs> like what's with the, you know, enough. <laughs> they don't want to come back. Yeah. But um, I still, you know, you write, and I'm sure you procrastinate as much as the rest of us, but I found when I was writing this book, if I hit, if, when I hit a wall, I would say, oh, okay, I'm going to go on next door. And I would just troll and look for poems, potential poems. And that was always a great way to kill some time. <laughs> I don't procrastinate. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh my you gosh. should start trolling on next door. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's a great, uh, that's a great distraction device, all of it. Yeah. Um, so did it take you a long time to do this one? It couldn't have. I mean, I feel like we this just came, like, it just came out so fast. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. I sold it right during COVID. So like the summer mm-hmm. of 2020. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm home in my house doing absolutely nothing. I'll have this done in six months. Of course that didn't happen. And I ended up, um, but by the time I actually got to it, I was a little late with it. And so I was terrified, which is always the best way to write. Absolutely terrified. So I did it pretty quickly, like six, six or seven months, I think. Mm-hmm. It was really felt like the book I'd always wanted to write, the story I'd always wanted to write. I don't know if you, I know that you told a lot of personal stories and bookends, which was great. And I know that this for me was like my, the story I kind of always wanted to tell. There'll hopefully be others, but I feel like we all have that story about ourselves that we feel mm-hmm. if we just tell this one piece of ourselves, people will understand us truly. And I always felt like, I never really understood that I had a different childhood and people have much, much worse, dramatically worse, but I just meant, I didn't understand that my family was different. All our families are different, but mine was different in a particular way that I didn't really understand until I met other people who didn't grow up in a family that had a dead sister. You know, it just was a very particular kind of thing. And so now when I talk to people and people have come out of the woodwork and will message me and we, it is so common. In fact, I'm doing some coaching and I recently met with someone and I got this vibe just from like what she was saying. And I was like, and it turned out dead sibling. And so there's a particular kind of thing that happens. I think, you know, you, you kind of minimize your own needs or you feel like, you know, there are, you don't want to bother people with your stuff because they have enough to, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's just, it's a particular kind of, profile I think and that when we meet each other we kind of know like we have the same with the same thing and it's fairly uncommon just as things go just and I know this is not like the biggest deal in the world but one of the heartbreaking scenes for me was when the girls would come back like from college or, or wherever they were and the beds were never made and instead their beds were like mattresses covered by files 
that was really, you know, about the advocacy results yeah. from the other sister. And yeah. I think of like what a big production I make, like when my kids come home from boarding school or something yeah. and, and just said that their mom couldn't, couldn't even like get her own stuff off the bed. It's like such a yeah. metaphor. You know, that's a really, that's exactly the right thing that I was, you know, and, and yet you can't, if you're the child of that, you also feel like you can't really be angry because the person is doing good. So it makes it even more complex in terms of how you see it and what you feel entitled to feeling. So it's complicated. I mean, my parents did stuff like that, you know, and I always felt like I don't, I shouldn't be upset because look, they were suffering. And yet I'm home. Aren't you glad? You know, aren't you glad I'm here too? Like, so it was very complicated. It always felt, and I think deep down, I was angry, really angry. And like, that's why I didn't ask a lot of questions. Cause I was kind of like, I'm tired, you know, I'm tired of not being seen, you know, that kind of thing. And it's very childlike, but it was, you know, you kind of always felt like, they were occupied by something else. Well, a child not feeling true love in their own home and true yeah. appreciation, it's not something you can just like get over. It doesn't I matter know. what the reason is. It's I like, know. it's it's still, the end result is the same. I know. It's I know. a loss. It's a loss for you too, you know. Yeah. Sad. I'm really sorry. That's. I mean, yeah. I, and, and, and there was you know, other good parts, I guess, to it too. But yeah, no, I just always wanted to write about it. And hopefully there's, there's a lot of funny stuff in it too. There is, there is. There's a balance, but you know, I also feel like, I don't know, I, the stories I want to tell now have both really both. It's like Catherine Newman's book, which is like salty sweet. It's like so you're sobbing through the book and laughing through the book. And that, isn't that what we want to read now? Yes. Like the real stuff. The real, real stuff. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yours yeah. was like that too. It's the yeah. same, you know, it's the same hand um, over heart and yet yeah. I'm laughing. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Now what's, what's, what can we look forward to after this one? What's next? Well, we're hoping that the separation anxiety TV goes happens. We've got Julian Nicholson, the great actress from many, many things, including mayor of Easttown and that great production company whip. So they're, they've optioned it and they're moving forward and hopefully there'll be some good news one of these days, hopefully. <laughs> She's great. And then I'm starting work on another novel called Gloom Chaser. Gloom Chaser. Gloom Chaser is a candle. Okay, so this is, I became obsessed with the Kardashians last winter, but I started through <laughs> lots of lot of Kardashians and then I got kind of obsessed with Chris, Chris Jenner and so I downloaded her memoir and in the beginning of her book, she was raised in La Jolla, California, and her grandparents had a candle store. And I bet you're wondering why I'm telling you this story, but she talks about her grandparents' candle store, how she loved these candles and those candles. And her favorite candles were the gloom chasers. And I was like, oh my God, I love that word. And so gloom chaser is a beverage, like it's a drink, like it looks like a martini. But gloom chaser candles are stained glass votives. And so you put the little candle on and you light it and the gloom gets chased away. So I just, anyway, so it's about, it's like about a woman who gets divorced and moves to the North Shore of Massachusetts and starts a new life there. Gloom chasing. Amazing. So we'll see. Oh, wow. I can't wait to read that too. So great. Laura, thank you. Thanks. I, this time went so fast. I had like a million other things, but anyway, the book was great so good and, and meaningful and, you know, 
I feel like you you gave the little bits that you were willing to like let escape from the vault <laughs> are really uh, are really meaningful. And you know now everyone can sort of look back and rethink all of your past work, you know, through a different lens and all of that. So. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for reading it. Thanks for having me. No, no, it was great. All right. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 